I'm Phil Peak. He is Ian Forkandles Moss. Hello and welcome to Flowing Backwards, episode 5, Growing Pains. This week, Mr Moss takes us back to his late teens and leaving school, finding a job. But always the ever-increasing, diverse musical taste. It's always there, so sit back, relax and chocks away. Oh, and there's lots of references to haircuts. You wouldn't think it looking at him nowadays, would you? He was a little shiny top. Anyway, um, enjoy. Hello there. Here I am again. Um, I'm in Phil's hole beneath a house where the lovely Helen resides um, with her flame red hair um, who makes me gorgeous cups of ginger tea and prepares me for this um, this fun that we have. I hope you find it fun. I find it fun. I know Phil finds it fun. Um, the um, off-duty policeman that I chased out of here who came looking uh, for a different kind of fun didn't find that fun, but here we go. Um, we're going to start... This We're not going to start yet because I will... I will prep you this is going to be a, a long episode in two parts and you could characterize it uh, through haircuts and um, I start off as a uh, carrot topped uh, spiky haired 14 year old and um, that grows out and becomes quite normal before I decide to embark on a one-man mod revival during the era of the Eagles, um, and I end, I try and, um, I try and copy Stevie Marriott's mid-sixties bouncy onion haircut uh, before giving up on that uh, because I'd got very heavily into uh, Lou Reed's rock and roll animal period, and Lou had this shaved sort of uh, skin, extreme skinhead haircut uh, that he had a swastika shaved into the side of. I didn't, I did the shaving, but I didn't do the swastika. For some reason, I had um, a Maltese cross. I've no affiliation with Malta or anything. It's just um, I didn't want to walk around with a swastika on the side of my head. Uh, that was a step too far. Uh, that grew out into a sort of um, Kevin Ayersy bob, I suppose, in my natural flowing blonde. And um, there we go. If there's any more hairstyles along the way, I'll I'll let you know. It was it was a wonderful way of expressing yourself through your hair when um, when hair was a copious uh, quantity on the top of my head. Um, it isn't these days, it's more difficult. Anyway, uh, I will begin once more with a uh, poem, or a lyric as I've said, because I don't write poems. Um, this is uh, a snapshot of the environment. Really, I should have read this a few episodes ago, because it's a snapshot of sort of um, mid to late 60s, where I grew up. It's called Prefabs. Sucking Watneys through a pipe like a sentry at his post. David, in electric chariot, takes in his daily dose. He's surveying everything, but he cannot communicate from the wreckage of his body. There's only one escape. It's in the little people's cut-through where ragged curtains twitch Bugs in the high summer crawl and make the skin itch. I'm uncomprehending to the nature of what I witness here. The innocence of infants makes blatancy unclear. Behind the prefabs in the undergrowth, they've hidden all their wrongs. I see the eyeballs at the surface of the slimy, stinking pond. Frog spawn, frog spawn, it's ripe and pulsing and about ready to hatch, but predators are waiting, ready to pounce and catch and kill. The garages are collapsing. They have asbestos panelling. We break it, create clouds of dust, and we suck it in. The butterflies that fluttered get pinned up and displayed, their colours not so vivid 
as lifelessly they fade. The boredom of the bullies makes them nastier by the day. They're looking for trouble and they're heading my way. Well, it's the law of the jungle that they get hunted too by the orangutans released from the zoo. Behind the prefabs in the tall grass, girls in magazines can talk themselves and display their sex gynecologically. In this secret place acted out the secrets that were said and we watch the maggots crawl from the belly of the dog that's dead. Uh, there you go. Horton Green, mid-60s. Um, so, okay, I'm starting with uh, the carrot-topped period. Sort of 14 going on 15, my last year at school. I was in the last year where there was a choice whether you left at 15 years old or stayed on for another year and took your exams and left at 16. Um, I chose to stay on, foolishly believing the lies that exams equal success. But the majority, I suppose 60% of my school year, left. And I suppose they left about 70 or 80 of us in the final year, studying to take exams. And I got, um, depending on your point of view, it's quite a compliment or quite an insult. Every single person who stayed on was made a prefect, bar one. Guess who? Oh yes, you've got it. It was quite unbelievable, really. I retaliated by um, borrowing my brother's head boy badge that he'd had at junior school and... um, summarily wandering around issuing lines, hundred lines to people who were dressed to uh, tidily or had done their homework. Um, hundred lines, do not do my homework on time or you're in trouble. Um, that didn't go down well, but but there it goes. There are a few slights. And as I've said, I was very interested in history. And in my first school years, I finished top of my class in history and then they um, they seeded people to do their exams and I was put in what was clearly the inferior class. So I challenged them about this and they denied that it was uh, it was seeding and uh, that both groups would be treated equally. It was just the way it had fallen and anyway... I, I would raise the standard of, of the others. It came to exam time, and th- this is the days of CSEs and the superior GCEs, and the other group were all down for GCEs, and we were told we were doing CSEs. So I went to the teacher and told him I wanted to take a GCE. He said, you've not had the syllabus, you know, the best group have had that. Uh, Anyway, I demanded that I take a GCE, despite not having learned the syllabus, and they acquiesced. I took the GCE and passed it off my own back. It was was one of the few that I did pass, because by this stage I was uh, becoming a hardened drinker, and um, rather than um, revising for exams, I was in the Arden Arms on Stockport Road, drinking Robinson's Bitter every night. So basically I got good marks in the subjects that I liked, history, art and English literature, and the rest were disappointing. So that was that was school sort of coming up, out of, getting out of the way. It was... It was a sort of bizarre time, but... Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd no um, compulsion. I'd no aspiration to be a joiner or an engineer or a plumber. I didn't want an apprenticeship. My friends all did. They they were excited about 
about this. They were planning their futures. They, they were already planning their wives and lives and their 2.5 children and semi-detached houses. I just didn't get it at all. Um, I wasn't quite as bad as um, Clive Hall, who I remember in a... Um, a session with uh, a career advisor and on being asked what he wanted to do uh, when he left school he said I want to be a son of a gun uh, which perplexed everybody and amused me largely um, it was it was stupid but there it goes I've been lied to and I didn't like it I didn't like school uh, but I was in no rush to leave school either uh, the final sort of act of of school was as i said i was good at sports and um we took on the masters the teachers at rugby and of course they murdered us they were miles physically stronger than us but somewhere in a scrum a teacher uh grabbed my testicles and twisted them which caused a terrible injury and i ended up uh like Hitler, um, in this aspect, I didn't become a, a Nazi who killing millions of people, but I ended up with one ball, uh, which wasn't good, again, for my self-confidence and my self-esteem. And um, I was embarrassed about it and chose not to tell anybody. I suffered in silence and it was wretched the pain was wretched and for 18 months or more i would get these severe stabbing pains through my guts that caused me to collapse at least once a month for, for 18 months i would collapse in the street and um, simply um, crawl into against the wall and spit up bile and wretch it was it was horrible not good, not good for one's self-esteem, not healthy, and and that's how my, my life was going. I wasn't wasn't very happy. Um, so let's play a song. Um, as I keep saying, when when you're um, in these situations, you've got to find solace somewhere. Somebody I identified a lot with was Yoko Ono. Um, I loved Yoko. I loved I loved John's records and um you know John was great but he he put um there was always one of Yoko's tracks on the B-side of John's singles and over a period of time I came to like them probably more than the A-sides and on the B-side of Power to the People was Open Your Box and this is one of the greatest rock and roll records ever. All day long, I felt like smashing my face in a clear glass window. But instead,
Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, so I've gone through this process of being sent off for jobs that I don't want. Um, had no interest in science, and for some reason I kept going for jobs as a laboratory technician. Um, and my lack of enthusiasm and qualifications uh, predictably excluded me from those. Eventually, I saw a job that I thought was right up my street, and it was as a designer in leather goods, designing predominantly handbags, which I thought, oh, that's going to be artistic. Oh, that, that's, that's for me. And I went, and sure enough, they employed me. It was for a, a German-Jewish firm called Seipel Brothers. And there were, there were indeed two Seipel Brothers who uh, insisted that you attach um, a Mr. before their Christian name. So, so I worked for Mr. Adolf and Mr. Albert uh, here, there, was Mr. Albert's other uh, catchphrase, here, there. Um it was a strange place, <laughs> very strange, with, with lots of stra strange people. It was a big old mill over on three stores with lots of um, machines chattering and cutting and uh, the very unhealthy smell of solvents uh, in the air crippling our lungs. Um, but it was, it was cheerful enough. I suppose I was fortunate... Um, in that it wasn't it wasn't hell. There was there was fun to be had, and I was very very pleased that when um, I was given a clock card, um, my clock number was number six. And uh, as a huge fan of Patrick McGowan's The Prisoner, um, it seemed very appropriate. I was absolutely delighted with that. Um, anyway. Um, I, I suppose I'd, I'd, I would be um, flouncing about in a cravat, drawing, drawing things. <laughs> um, but that wasn't the case. I had to learn the um, nuts and bolts of of the enterprise before I could uh, design anything, um, and so set about learning lots of menial tasks that were repetitive and dull, uh, and I was being paid a pittance. Um, what was good was the first week that I was there. This this factory was in a place called Duckingfield, which is um, a tiny shithole between the largest shitholes of Hyde and Ashton Underline. Um, and it was close enough in proximity to walk up to Ashton Underline in my dinner hour where I would browse record shops. What else would I do? So, my first week at work, before I've been paid, I am browsing a record shop and I come across in a remainders box for the princely sum of 50 pence, the holy grail of records that I've been seeking for 18 months. Bear in mind, this is pre-the internet age and, you know, you had to hunt for record, you didn't just click on and listen to something, or you know, or order it. This I, I found a copy of Fun House by the Stooges. I had fetishized this record; it meant so much to me. I'd never heard it, but I knew that it was going to be brilliant. I wanted it so badly, and it was fifty pence, and I hadn't got fifty pence. Um. Sweating with excitement, I went rushing out onto the street, rushing here, there and everywhere, looking for somebody who I could find who would give me 50 pence. And eventually I found a woman who I recognised who worked at Seipel Brothers, who I'd never spoken to before, and excitedly ran towards her and uh, persuaded her to part with 50 pence until I got paid and went back and purchased copy of Stooges by the Stooges Funhouse. So um, so this is June 1973 and, and, and I arrive home that night and um, my parents can sense my excitement and they forego the, the six o'clock news so that 
I can play this record and put it on with great ceremony and it is the most hideous noise I've ever heard in my life. I cannot fathom it at all. It just seems monolithic, loud, noisy, shapeless, screaming. I don't get it. I'm putting on a brave face, pretending I like it, but I don't. I don't like it at all, and my parents hate it. Uh, and my brother looks fairly nonplussed too. Um, anyway... As you did in those days, I persevered. After three listenings, I'm thinking, I got this wrong, this is quite good. After six listenings, I'm thinking, this is great. After ten listenings, it is part of my DNA. It is the record that I know will live with me for the rest of my life. It is the record that I play in the jukebox inside of my head constantly, constantly. It becomes me. It is the most superb piece of music I've ever heard in my life. It is brutalist but artistic. The saxophone is incredible. It makes me want to listen to, to, to jazz. The guitar, Ron Asherton's guitar... Oh, it's like sheets of metal searing through your head. It's incredible. And Iggy is so smart in those days. His lyrics are concise and he sounds alive. Ah, oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. And so, you know, the proof of the pudding is in uh, the eating or the listening in this case. And so this is Dirt from Funhouse by the Stooges.
My um, palette work was a guy my age, a guy, uh, 1970s, a boy uh, my age who had started there the week before me uh, it doing the same job. There were two of us who were trainee designers and he became um, my compadre in my record hunting and we would talk about things and babble along we were we were different in many ways but we we became good friends um as i say i was carrot topped um psych old man and kim was um peter wingard-esque um mustachioed long-haired cheesecloth um in strutting high heels um and and all that sort of stuff but but we liked one one another and still do actually um eventually you know, we'll get around to this story another day but but kim would um would come with me and, and we would talk about music and we'd buy records and what his great love was was soul music generally but in particular stevie wonder now, obviously, I knew Stevie Wonder was. I heard the singles and stuff like that. But Kim had taken this more seriously, and he was right on the case with buying Stevie's iconic 70s albums, which I hadn't heard. So he'd fetch them in as, as they came out and, and lend, me, um, lend me Stevie's records, which created a huge impression on me. They, they were genius absolutely superb things and they taught me so much they taught for, for a start the stevie's compassion and his social conscience but his musicality was the main thing and his voice his sheer passion was incredible um and i'm truly indebted to uh kim for that for introducing me to stevie and so we're going to play superstition by stevie i know that's the obvious one but you can never tire of superstition, can you? There is superstition 
Paid, admittedly um, not being paid a lot, um, opened up my social life, um, and things things were cheap and affordable in in those in those days in the early seventies. Had to be said. I think I think a pint of beer at that stage was twelve or thirteen pence, um, and so even though I was only earning eight pounds a week um i could go out <laughs> as much as i liked and i did um and i drank heavily um i drank copious and i went out every night and i do mean every night um i don't mean four five times a week i went out every night and drank and blah. It wasn't. It wasn't good um, because between I started work on on my sixteenth birthday. Strangely enough, I've neglected that fact. Um, in June of nineteen seventy three, by June of nineteen seventy four, I had put on three stones. I'd gone from eleven stones to fourteen stones, which tells you um, 
I wasn't particularly looking after myself. Um, and with the injury that I'd sustained, that I told you about, um, making me feel unwell and the drinking, um, I was... I got these these terrible stomach pains. I remember going to see the doctor and him examining me. You know, he'd taken my shirt off and I'd lay there and he prodded me and he said, do you smoke? I said, no, I don't smoke. I was very, 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 very I felt very superior because I didn't smoke. I thought that made me healthy. Um, he said, do you drink? I said, I said, yes. He said, um, how often do you drink? I said, each night he said how much do you drink no he didn't he said what do you drink he said what do you drink i said cider he said how much do you drink it was in that order and i said about eight pints a night and he looked at me and he said get out of here and stop wasting my time <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. Um but that was that was symptomatic of my behavior. Um it the the what was open up to me with having this money was nightclubs um which had previously been um kind of beyond me and and I could start going nightclubbing. Now what this necessitated was a kind of um having a nightclub outfit. Um, and so, and so I had clothes that would get me into nightclubs that made me look quite quite normal. The the carrot top had gone and grown out, as I said, and uh, and for a while I, I started looking um, quite normal. And I would go to these nightclubs. Um, there are tons of nightclubs in Manchester. This is sort of um, just before James Anderton's call. But I would go along with with a, a gang of older sort of people, and they were not. I don't know. We uh, some of the, where did it go? We used to go to the Picador Club, Piccadilly Club, Placemate, uh, Jillies, Tramps. Um, I was fascinated, but soon grew bored as 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 well. Um, as I've said before, I, I suffer terribly from shyness, so there was no way in the world that I, I could go and chat girls up or anything. And and though I liked dancing, it, it sometimes felt um, a little bit bit forced, so I'd just drink and drink. But I did love a lot of the music, and I loved the vibe. I loved seeing... When, when Barry White, who was like the king of sort of uh, the disco in those days... If a DJ was 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 struggling to fill the floor, he just put Barry White on, and it would be mobbed. It would be mobbed, and I loved all that. The other one I loved because it was so um, it was a kind of tongue in cheek um, thing, and um, there was a a slight camp, not more than slight. It was completely <laughs> overtly camp. Uh, and I loved it. It was so flamboyant. Was a uh, disco techs and the sex elects. Anybody remember them? Well, if you don't, you're in for a treat. Cause this is disco techs and the sex elects' biggest hit. Get dancing. Thank you, right. Here it comes, disco techs and the sex elects.
arrive home um, regularly in time to watch the old grey whistle test you had to do it um, it it sort of kept you informed and it was not as good as people remember I, I promise you it was usually absolutely dreary and consisted of some coked up Californian talking blandly to Bob Harris as he simpered to them and, and then they would play some acoustic dirge or it was you know it was it was generally dreary it looked dreary as as, as well there were great things of, of course it was long running you know so there was there was absolutely brilliant things that that Bob Harris always hated you know Roxy music he, he obviously hated you know Sparks he quite clearly hated um, the Whalers just confused everybody and um then the uh, the greatest moment ever on the old grey whistle test was the appearance 
of the New York Dolls. Uh, the Dolls were 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 brilliant. Well, they were brilliant. You know, there's there's no two ways about it. The music is brilliant. It is still absolutely fantastic because it is so smart. It's really street smart. It's got all the spirit of rock and roll. It was absolutely fantastic and they looked like nothing on earth of course even if you never heard the dolls you know what they look like you know i remember um going to the buxton festival which took place um it's what a stupid place to have a festival you cannot believe it it was it was Bizarre. The weather was always absolutely foul. It would be howling winds and torrential rain. But the acts were a mixture of good and appalling. Um, so it was a strange festival. I remember the, the first year we went, um, Wizard played and they were followed by the top of the bill was Chuck Berry, who was enjoying a sort of career revival on the back of my dingaling. Um And there was, as I've said before, there was a large presence of um, the most hated group of people in, in my eyes, the ones I disdained the most, the bikers, the greasers, they thought they were hell's angels. They were awful, you know. And they were just idiots uh, drinking Newcastle brown and bullying people. Um, so so the Buxton Festival, there's a huge pool of mud in front of the stage, which they gleefully rolled around in. And then they bombarded Wizard, because Wizard had had puppets, uh, huge crime, bombarded wizard with mud and eventually um, scaled the stage threatening the band and all and sundry uh, john peel who was djing simply fled got out of there don't blame you john um and all through chuck berry's set chuck of course wasn't mithered with them he'd, he'd seen tougher people and tougher crowds than them but they they sort of sat around on the stage while chuck berry played his gig it's all very unpleasant anyway the year after uh, the faces topped the bill and mock the hoople played humble pie played lindy's farm played i got punched on the nose by an irate person from uh, newcastle for singing along to fog on the tyne i remember uh, for the crime of not being a real Geordie. Bizarre. Thing, thing, things were not love and peace. You know, anybody imagines that. that all these long-haired were nice. They weren't. They were slobs. Um, but due to appear, uh, I was looking forward to seeing, were the New York Dolls. And I was on the train um, from Manchester going to Buxton... And one of these hippies, one of these, wow, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sensing uh, our difference, um, started goading my friends and I, going because he'd heard that uh, Billy Masia, the New York Dolls drummer, had died of a drug overdose and uh, the Dolls couldn't play. And he seemed to find great pleasure in the fact that this young man had died. God, I hated those people. Anyway, Bob Harris um, also hated the New York Dolls, quite clearly. And after one of the greatest televised performances ever, um, he simply sneered, mock rock. This is the New York Dolls. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. Oh, I can't be wasting time, cause I 
are looking for a kiss Well, won't you tell me why those kids are moving so slow Is it that they just don't have a place to go When the day starts breaking, the sun is gonna shine It's hard to sleep if I'm in time all the old ladies, they're all on their way to church You go to church, I bet you will not be alone Looking for a kiss When everyone's going to your house They shoot up in your room Most of them are beautiful But so obsessed with gloom I ain't gonna be here When they all get home They're only thinking at me They won't leave me alone I didn't come here Looking for no sticks I, I, I know I've been hounding on streets All night long Just looking for a kiss Just looking for a kiss. Also at Buxton, uh, something created a huge impression on me, and and the the memory is indelibly stamped on my mind. John Peel, as I say, was was the DJ, and John had um, a more eclectic taste than a large number of the audience and you know so he, he would he would play um he would play things that they didn't always like but the huge crime was to play what was considered pop a band who had sold out uh who were trivial who didn't have 30 minute guitar solos and 20 minute drum solos in their repertoire so I, re- I remember um, with with the stage completely empty between bands, um, John Peel had the temerity to play Silly Love by 10CC. And these bikers and these long hairs were absolutely affronted. A chorus of catcalls and jeers and whistles went up. But they were they weren't uh, that didn't content them. They weren't uh, expressing their dissatisfaction um, well enough, and so they headed for the mud pit and proceeded to cover themselves in this grime and started throwing huge mounds of mud onto this empty stage in protest that they were having to listen to 10CC which just showed how stupid they were because 10CC were one of the best bands around they were smart they were clever they were forward thinking they were northern and stayed in the north in fact we are less than 200 yards away from uh, from where they recorded at Strawberry, Strawberry Studios. Um, they were absolute genius. They were cynical and made, made points in the records while they were funny. They were truly subversive because they were subverting from the inside and that's that's how you do subvert. And 10CC were a genius act and one of their one of one of my favourite songs by them was a flop single, the worst band in the world, um, that we're going to hear in a minute. Years later, um, 
tried to get my band the hamsters to learn it but we truly were the worst band in the world and we couldn't uh, couldn't master it anyway this is 10cc the worst band in the world <laughs> As I say, there's been a, a lot of ground to cover uh, in this edition, so so this is merely part one. So uh, Phil and I are going to have an interlude. He might get a little bit of whipping in, and I will go and have a cup of tea with the delectable Helen. Okay, see you soon, folks. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Moss. Uh, enjoy your ginger tea. I'll do all the work now, should I? Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, part two of this particular episode will be broadcast tomorrow. Um, don't forget the website, www.flowingbackwards.co.uk. You can go online, send us an email. Any input you want, we don't mind. We're big boys now, so that doesn't hurt. And don't forget our Facebook page, Flow Backwards. Leave us a message, send the link out to somebody else so they can enjoy the show. Anyway, um, so we'll be back soon. Listen to the rest of it tomorrow. From me, Phil Peake, goodbye for now. <laughs>